far left is striding away. And passing the two furlongs post, the race is certainty for the champion. Second wind is putting up a gallant effort with Shadow King moving up rapidly. Farlap is increasing his lead with little effort and proves one of our greatest stayers in which length by three lengths ahead of second for his finish. Well, that was Farlap's win, the most famous horse winning the most famous race in the most famous backstory because it was part of the story of Farlap's 90-30 Melbourne Cup was the $100 million uh, most famous betting plunge in Australian history, coupled with Amunis in the Caulfield Cup. And it was one of the great stories. And it's a story that's been sort of urban myth over the years about what really happened, who was behind the plunge, uh, um, what was actually taken from the ring all around Australia. And, of course, the other part of the backstory is the bookies were stood to lose so much that there was an alleged attempt on Farlap's life. And we all mm. saw that in the movie with the, the shotgun blasts. Uh, David Robertson is the grandson of Lou Robertson. And Lou Robertson was a, a monumental trainer of that era. Um, he trained Caulfield Cup winner, Melbourne Cup winner. He was a very famous trainer. And David's going to tell us a little bit about the, the unusual relationship that Lou Robertson had with racing and his home life as well, which is quite bizarre. And he was great mates with Eric Connolly, who was the biggest and most famous gambler in Australian history, of, uh, particularly of that era. So mm. this is all swirling about what's the real story about the most famous plunge in Australian racing history. Author David Robertson, who hasn't yet finished the book, but he's penning it as we speak, and he's delved heavily into myth versus fact about the most famous plunge in Australian history. And he joins us. David, how are you? Mick, I'm well, thank you, mate. How are you? Thank you very much for ha having me on. Absolute pleasure. You haven't yet completed the book, but you've got into the heart of the matter about the subject at hand today, and that is the fact versus fiction about the, the most famous plunge in Australian history. Well, that's right. Um, the, uh, the book's been a labour of love. It actually comes from, a, uh, from a, another book that I'm writing because our family, as you alluded to, had a slight disconnect with regards who Lou Robertson actually was because uh, my father and his brothers were not raised around racing. In fact, I was doubt whether they'd even, um, they'd even, uh, they had even been on, on a horse mix. So uh, it might beg a belief, but... Uh, and so when we were uh, when we were uh, growing up, uh, Lou Robertson was effectively sort of well persona non grata in our household. He, he virtually didn't exist. And so it was only later in life that I discovered this extraordinary human being, but also his brother, who was a huge uh, bloodstock specialist. And it was from writing that book and researching that book, one of the chapters was in fact uh, this 1930s um, double with a moonist. What really happened? Uh, what, what's the story of the double? What's the, what are the various parts of this story? Well, the the popular part of the story is that um, that uh, Eric Connolly goes in cahoots with uh, David Davis, the owner of of Farlap, um, and uh, Maud Vandenberg, who was a huge Sydney punter, who always backed Amunis, and the three of them got together and uh, they. Because the odds on Farlap were so short, um, and still the shortest prize favourite ever to be in a in a Melbourne Cup, um, and uh, I think it was eleven to eight on. So it gives you some idea just how short those odds were. And so any double um, with uh, with Farlap, um, Farlap was uh, was certain to be a Caulfield Cup starter. So the Farlap Farlap double was virtually. Two to one, 
And so for professional punters, it was ridiculous. And uh, and so what they did, anybody who was a professional punter wanted to back Farlap for the Melbourne Cup and any other horse for the Caulfield Cup. And the most logical one was Amuna because the Caulfield Cup field was so awful in 1930. So it. So Blind Freddy could have come up with it, but the urban myth is, all these the popular myth is that Conley had Falap withdrawn from the Caulfield Cup and had been loading up the bets on a bonus for that leg. And hey, 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 presto, everybody's 200,000 pounds richer. Just quickly on that, how would Connolly, who didn't own Farlap, have orchestrated, if that's that myth is true, how would it have been under his order that Farlap came out of the Caulfield Cup? Well, that's a very good point, actually, and that is really the fly in the ointment, isn't it? Because uh, Farlap was, in fact, leased to a trainer, the trainer um, Telford, Harry Telford. And so, as a consequence, none of them in the party had any influence other than Telford as to whether or not Farlap would, would in fact, be withdrawn. So, um, and it's always been that, um, the, again, popular myth that Telford was this, you know, straight as a die. Aussie battler with this brilliant horse and uh, was somehow sort of strong-armed into uh, into actually um, taking Farlap at the very last moment out of the Caulfield Cup, where in reality, Salford was a chronic gambler. Um, and he was a very ordinary trainer, too, with this brilliant horse. But the fact was that he had no no compunction taking uh, Farlap out. He, in fact, he, he, he leapt at the opportunity to, uh, to make a uh, you know, bucket of dough. So the, the whole legend is Amunus into Farlap uh, represented what would now be $100 million, but was Amunus necessarily going to be the best result for for punters out of, out of that Caulfield Cup, Melbourne Cup double that year? Again, good question, Mick, because um, uh, what happened was that the, this double virtually took on a life of its own because you've got to understand that it was at the start of the um, uh, Depression. There were a lot of people out of work. Um, banks and institutions were uh, were uh, a very dodgy proposition, and if, even if you did have your money in the bank, um, it was getting virtually no interest. So having your money on something like Farlap or Amunus or that double was probably a... Uh, um, you know, pretty good bet. But the reality of it is, at the start of, say, September of 1930, you had really three great horses in the Caulfield Cup. You had the previous winner of the Melbourne Cup, Night March, which was also side by Night Raid, the same fire as Farlap. You had Farlap, and you had Amunus. But the but Farlap had that effect on, on field. In fact, all great horses have effects on a field where they're so dominant that trainers will tend to pull their horses out of that race so that they can go in, put their horse into a more winnable race. And the same thing happened with Farlap, where Farlap wasn't really competing sometimes against the best possible opposition. And so it happened with the Caulfield Cup in 1930, where by the time Telford eventually um, uh, uh, pulled on that Caulfield Cup, the field had been virtually decimated, so it was one of the weakest fields in the Caulfield Cup history. Hey, Dave, it's Matt Nevitt here. Thanks so much for jumping on and, and sharing your insight into it. It's, it's fascinating to listen to. 
I just Thank want you. I just want to know why do you think there's so many different variation and, and variations and myths out there, and that there hasn't been a sort of concrete um, idea of what exactly happened. Well, that's just it, Matt. There, there has, to a degree, been an accepted idea that um, somehow um, um, Eric Connolly manipulated this to uh, pull Farlap out at the last moment because the other horse that I mentioned was uh, Night March. Now, Night March had won the uh, Cox Plate in the uh, Caulfield Cup the previous year, um, and Eric Connolly was manager of Night March for uh, for um, Elf uh, Lewison, a, a a New Zealander, and so he he had an in with the Night March camp. Now, as it, as it moved forward, by still keeping Farlap and Night March in that field, it weakened the field. Finally, Night March, which was getting regularly beaten by Farlap, they went back to New Zealand, and. In the meantime, all the bets were loading up on on um, on Amunis. However, there were other um, horses. One of which was the one that came second, Sultan. Now, Sultan was trained by my grandfather Lou Robertson. Now, the fact was that Sultan was a much better bet for Lou Robertson, and also, like a lot of professional punters. Professional punters, as a general rule, don't just back one horse in a, in, in, a, in a race. They'll have their main game, but they'll also have maybe a couple of savers. Now, in this particular case, because of the short odds on a fail-up-fail-up double and then on a slightly less shorter, when fail-up was still in the field, and a moonless fail-up double, um, compared to that, Sultan. Uh, a Sultan's Farlap double, well, that was that was offering anything up to 100, 150 to one at the start of at the, at the start of September, and so consequently, um, Connolly and 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 my grandfather could put on invest a lot less money into this double, and make an absolute killing. So by the time the Caulfield Cup did come around, Connolly had money on a Craigford. Um, Craigford Farlap double, and Craigford had won the, the uh, Metropolitan. It was Joe Breesley's first major win. He had money on a Sultan Farlap double um, at, at, again, really long odds, um, and a, a Moonis Farlap double. So the, 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 the story has always been that it was almost, that the, the tinge was that it was almost a setup. A Moonis mm. wins, Farlap wins, but the reality was that the runner up would have been bigger than the $100 million mm. they pulled out had the runner-up been able to win the race and uh, trained by your grandfather. Hey, just, um, David, on the, the assassination attempts and so on, I, I spoke to a good mate of mine, John Sweeney, who's a bit of a historian. He said there was a lot more to the, the methodology of the, of, the, of the evil bookies to try and knock off Farlap. And what, what do you know about the other pla- mooted plans to get rid of Farlap that might have abounded at the time? And, and what's the accuracy of the, of the shooting attempt on Farlap? Well, that's it. that is interesting, actually, Matt, because um, my belief would be that um, Tommy Woodcock didn't just cut and run. He, he stayed with, with Farlap. And to have killed Farlap, very likely they would have had to have killed Tommy Woodcock as well. 
And there is one thing to have killed a killed an animal, mm. um, but there would have been a very different uh, scenario had had Tommy Woodcock been killed. And I would believe that somewhere along the line, even though it was, it was uh, taken out with all the skill of a Keystone cop, um, it was like a it was it was bizarre because unless you were you know Mr. McGoo. And you stuck a shotgun out out of out of, out of the window of a of, of a city baker to shoot to shoot point blank at a, at a seventeen hand horse. You know, it, I would find that very difficult to think that they would um, they would uh, accidentally miss that target. Is there a suggestion that it that that never happened? Mm. That it was a backfiring car? I know that was part of the legend as well. Is it more likely than not that there was no assassination attempt on Farlap? I, uh, I, I would. Uh, there's, there's different schools of thought. I know that um, um, that Jeff Armstrong is, is a strong believer that it was a setup of of the of actually Herald Sun starters trying to sell more papers, if that was possible. But I mean, I find that a little bit of a drawing a long bow because uh, far at that stage, especially during the. Uh, during the uh, lead-up to the Melbourne Cup, I don't think it was physically possible to actually sell more papers with Farlap in it because uh, it was so popular. It was like, you know, if you could imagine the Winks coverage on steroids, that was a bit like Farlap coverage. So uh, I'm not 100% sure about that, but I am. I would be more leaning towards the fact that um, they may have lost their nerve. That would be my my take on the whole thing rather than necessarily um, backfiring cars or anything. Because I'm sure, I'm, I think the police reports say that the gun was shot and that uh, and that uh, Tommy Woodcock uh, shielded the horse. Hey, David, to, to form your own view on, on exactly what's gone on and, and find out so much information, you've obviously done a hell of a lot of research and reading and digging to... To find out what you know, how much work have you actually put into this? Well, with regards to the bibliography, I'm just actually completing some of the bibliography now and the references and everything. And uh, it goes to, uh, at the moment, it goes to nearly 15 pages of font ace. <laughs> yeah, and, and, it, it, and it's yet to be published. And, and I think the other stuff that... Um, uh, you know, has been spoken about as well. Is that the that there was going to be they were going to smash his knees, they were going to poison mm. him. There was all yeah. sorts of things as mm. well. Yeah. Actually, gentlemen, the 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 thing that I'm finishing up on now is the Farlap's time in America. Now, there's been a lot of really good books on Farlap, and uh, but none of them have really truly covered uh, a what happened in America. They obviously the racing side, but what I'm doing is also researching. Because it's already it's one of the one of the interesting moments when doing the Farlap story um, is that Farlap's last race was in Ala Caliente in Tijuana, Mexico, and this is the richest race in the world. And it's always struck me as odd as how is it in 1932 the richest race in the world should be in Mexico? And I thought, how did that come about? And so I started looking at the Californian racing scene, and 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 you know, and it's a fascinating story, this Tijuana story. And I've put it in as a sort of like a separate chapter, completely to the to the book, but it gives a much better 
idea as to a why they just took Farlap over to America in the first place, but also more from the American point of view, because while we see Farlap as a as a national hero, and the New Zealanders see Farlap as a national hero, Farlap's appearance in America had a, a profound effect on on you know Californian racing at the time, and it had a huge effect on the popularity of racing. And he was an incredible hero to the Americans. And that part of the story, which hasn't really been explored, but it is fascinating. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And then some of the greats, Man Man of War just preceded him, and then all the citation and that many years later, and... uh uh, sea biscuit, no, and and that what began that was uh, was the popularity of the Australian horse. Hey, David, thanks very much for joining us to just to shed some more light on on that amazing period uh, where there was so much drama with Farlap, and obviously the insights about how it wasn't just a a one horse double; it was other horses were standing to win more money, not just uh, the famous Amunis. Uh, hey, good luck with the book, and uh, make sure to we'll make sure to get you on again when uh, when it's all all done and dusted. And Dave, just before you go, there's a couple of text messages asking if you've written any other books. Um, if, if, you, if you have, feel free to reel them off now. There's a few interested buyers. Well, thank you. This is actually going to be my first published book, but it came out of a much larger book. So once this Farlap book gets published, there's a, another book called The Oyster and the Wizard, which is specifically about the life of Lou Robertson and his brother, Andrew Robertson. And that's, huge. that's a huge book. That's, that's bigger than Ben Hur, but it's mm. But all these books, not only is Farlap, but also... Uh, the my grandfather's book, it doesn't just talk about them. It brings in all the other characters and all the other events. So it's a very, very good racing and history book. Yeah, I reckon you've got a few buyers listening to this station right now. Hey, I appreciate your time, David. It's been a lot Matt, of fun. Matt, 